Hi, I'm Jen Sherlock, and welcome to my lifestyle podcast, Live Without a Nest. The podcast showcases people who live fearlessly and have the ambition to create something. I'll showcase change makers who have decided to let go of their safety net in order to survive. So let's jump right in. Hi, I'm Jen Sherlock. Welcome to my podcast, Live Without a Net. And I'm with Dr. Joe Dowling. He's a peak performance psychologist. And he's worked with many professional athletes like the Eagles and UPenn's basketball and lacrosse teams. Welcome to the show, Joe. How are you? Thanks, Jen. Great to see you. Yes, and I can admit I messed up the intros a couple times. And it reminded me of what we were just talking about. I always find it interesting, you know, when people are afraid to mess up. I'm one of those folks. And you had said something interesting that, you know, those people tend to be high performers and, you know, very critical of themselves. So do you have any advice for that or any good stories? Absolutely, Janet. It's it's funny that the the best and the brightest people tend to worry about mistakes the most and and beat themselves up the most, things they would never do to their their good friends and family members. But uh, we'll we'll come back to that. I, I do have one story and it's the willing to make mistakes story. And it's, has to do with uh, a basketball game. Back in 2018, it was Villanova University against the University of Pennsylvania. And I'm sure, hopefully, a lot of your listeners are familiar with the Palestra on the campus of the University of Pennsylvania, known as the Cathedral of College Basketball. And uh, this particular evening in December, I believe it was December 10th or so of 2018, Villanova at the time was the 10th ranked team in the country. And the previous March, they had beaten, they had won the national championship. So here they are coming in to play Penn. They had beaten Penn every year since 2002. The game was on national TV on ESPN. The Palestra was sold out. It was rocking. 10,000 people, standing room only. And our guys are really jacked up. They're really pumped up. They feel they have a chance against Villanova and they're ready to go. But of course, there's some apprehension, some nerves. And anyway... So we're about 10 minutes before the game starts and both teams had, are completing their warm-ups and the energy, the vibe is, is really heightening. Uh, Penn comes into the locker room with right about nine, 10 minutes to go to get their final instructions from Coach Donahue, the head coach. All the players come in, stand in a big circle. Uh, coach Donahue's in the middle. We have a 7-3 guy, 6'10", 6'10", 6'8". You can barely see Coach Donahue. I'm on the periphery of the circle. And all Coach Donahue said to the team, and I'll do my Coach Donahue impersonation if any of you know who he is, and (laughs) he said, let's be the team willing to make the most mistakes. Let's go. And everyone said, let's go. And everyone, they run out of the court, and there's the national anthem, and we start the game, and I'm sure you know where this is going. We played the whole game, and Villanova missed a shot at the end, and we ended up winning the game. The, The fans stormed the court. It was one of the best victories in Penn basketball history. But the, the epilogue, the aftermath, the next day when we were all talking about it, I, I met with a lot of the guys and just kind of casually one-on-one. And they were like, they loved that. They, they, felt, uh, they felt like they were set free when Coach Donahue said, let's be the team willing to make the most mistakes. I love that. I never heard that before. Yeah, isn't it cool? But why do you think he said that? Because I think it makes you relax a little bit in a sense, not put as much pressure on yourself and that positive mindset probably helped them. Yes. You know, get into a better mental state that it's okay if they slip up a little bit. 
That's that's one hundred percent right. I would mark that correct on the test. Um, the extra credit answer would be that when you're willing to make mistakes in whatever you're doing, in this case, a basketball game, you go out there and you let it rip and you're willing to make mistakes, you will make many, many, many more good plays. Interesting. When you're not willing to make mistakes, when you're worried about making a mistake, when you're what-ifing or, or nervous, you're, you're guaranteed, I don't make a lot of guarantees, you're guaranteed to make many more mistakes. That's so me. Um, you know, I've worked with you, you know, over the years and from being a TV reporter, or even sometimes doing podcasts like this, if my mind gets into a negative mindset, it's just like, you know, like it's just a domino effect where I start panicking and then it shows, then I get worse, then I get worse. And I'm sure there's other people like that. Welcome to the club, Jen. I mean, that's really incredibly common. And and I think that's a nice bridge. You and I talked briefly about this podcast and you're really talking about your conscious mind when, you know, you, you, you've done TV reporting, you've done so much on camera. And basically what you're saying is sometimes you get into that rabbit hole, you get into that, that place where it's, it's negative and you're what ifing and you're worrying. And, you know, we call that the conscious mind. So the conscious mind is the thinking mind. And I can give you a brief visual on the conscious mind, right? Your conscious mind is like a finite box, like a shoe box. And it has side A and it has side B. Side A is great. Side A is healthy analysis, critical thinking. Your con- side A of your conscious mind is really good for math class. It's great for scheduling, organization. But what happens is once you start overthinking, you're in side B. And side B is symptom land. I call it symptom land. Symptom land, if you're an athlete, that's where all the zone blockers live. If you're not an athlete, I just call it symptom land. That's the, the what ifs and, the, and, and the, the worries. The three main symptoms being self-criticism, tearing yourself down, focus, self-doubt. The next one being what if, which is a negative focus on the future. The other one being why did I do this? Why did I do that? Which is a negative focus on the past. I call that being a whiner, right? Where you're constantly asking, why did I do this? You're whining. So the why becomes a symptom word. Anyway, I don't want to be too verbose about this, but for you, you you're in your conscious mind. You're in that small area of your mind that doesn't know how to perform, doesn't know how to trust yourself and just let go. But your subconscious mind does, right? So your subconscious mind is an infinite space, a timeless place, that only knows how to help you. And by the way, this is brain science. This is not my Joe's theory, right? Right. Oh, your subconscious mind is where your best self lives. When you're performing, when you're in front of the camera, when you're giving a presentation, you're in your zone. You're being your best self, right? That's just you trusting yourself, being in the moment. So what you just described is no different than an athlete who says, what if I strike out or what if I miss the shot? And I have all kinds of techniques for them. When that happens, you say, thank you, overthinking, for reminding me, right? Thank you, what if, for reminding me to take a deep breath and say, next play. And I could go on and on about that. I won't do that. But what we're really talking about is your subconscious mind is the part of your mind that knows how to do everything. And I'll prove it to you. If I were to ask you, Explain to me how you walk. Explain to me how you talk. 
you couldn't do that. Your conscious mind couldn't explain it. Like right now, I don't know how, how I'm moving my hands, right? I just, how I'm explaining, how you're, you know, we're engaging in a communication, which is rather sophisticated, not because we're sophisticated. Everyone in the world having a conversation like this is engaging in this crazy thing. They don't even know how they're doing it, right? Yeah. Choreograph your hands and your, your body language, and that's all subconscious. So your subconscious mind is responsible for you when you're in front of the camera expressing yourself and making the point. Your conscious mind doesn't know how to do it. So what does it do instead? It tells you to worry. It tells you to beat yourself up. It tells you to what if. Yeah, it happens to me all the time. Sometimes it's hard. I know you're supposed to take a breath or say it's okay, but sometimes I get into such a panic, and I'm sure others do too, that how terrible I did or what I said or how I'm looking that I just like lose it. Sometimes like not, you know, not often, but sometimes it just goes too far <laughs> and it's hard, but I know you're supposed to breathe and all that. Well, yeah. And it's, you know, truly genuinely, that's so common, right? Uh, I've yet to meet anyone that hasn't experienced that in some aspect of their life, but what's really interesting and it's deceptively simple, what I'm about to explain so simple that it's hard is uh, give you the name first name of one of your your girlfriends that you're close with allison allison so if allison were having a rough time about whatever it was right and she were second guessing herself or worrying or what if thing or being self-critical you want to say hey allison you know i think you should do more of that right? you, <laughs> should, you know before your presentation tomorrow at the pharmaceutical company Right, I think you should start what ifing about if you forget what you, you're in the middle of your presentation, you don't know what to do. I think you should start closing your eyes and imagining yourself really failing. Because, by the way, you're really no good at what you do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right? I know, and it's like, wow, you wouldn't do that. Yeah, it's a good point. Don't yeah, want to say that. Of course, yeah, no one would say that. And so it sounds rather ridiculous when you think about it, but then using that as a template, kind of making this pot. And I talk with people at length about this, making a positive commitment. How would my life be if I treated myself in the exact same way that I would, I treat someone I really love and care about as having a rough time? How do I talk to that person? I agree. I think I just need to practice it more. And is that something you do or you've learned to do just from your, um, education and experiences? Absolutely. I, it's called the one step removed technique where you have to step out of it to see it clearly. So for me, it's, it's kind of funny because, you know, I give presentations on what we're talking about to, at psychology conferences in front of pro teams and college teams. And, and I'll typically the night before that morning, I'll get some what ifs, right? Yeah, I've done it a million times, but what if I fail? What if I forget? Right. You know, what if I'm exposed to being a, a fraud, right? Yeah. And that happens to me sometimes. And then I, I do everything in my power to practice what I preach. And there's all kinds of techniques that we haven't gotten into yet. You know, uh, I call it the zone, the power zone. Where I'll close my eyes and for one or two minutes, I'll review the times that I've made presentations and done really well, right? It's, I call that my personal history of success, and I teach clients how to tap into that. And it's not just this quick review. It's closing your eyes and experiencing the 
the sight, sound sensations of doing well, bringing that into the present, feeling it in your center, and then doing what I call future memories of success. Now I'm imagining the most nervous I ever was in my life when I had a, I didn't realize I had to do this when I got hired by the Eagles and it was training camp and I had to go in front of the whole team and the coaching staff and the management and do five minutes on what I do. Wow. Right. And sitting right underneath me on the, was Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. I looked down and they were like this. <laughs> That's intimidating. Oh, so, my gosh. And I, I'm, I'm up there explaining what I'm talking to you about, right? Not yeah. so blank. So it was funny. I, I've been, what did I do? I, was, I knew I had to, I was told about two hours before. And I took a, a walk around the complex and with my eyes open, I went into a lot eyes open zone and I just reviewed everything I've done well in my past and I imagined myself doing it. And most importantly, I talked to myself like I would someone else, like a client who was coming to me. Right. And I did my two inhales and my exhale, which is an anchor breath. And I said, I got this, trust myself. And that was the main mantra, trust myself. I got up there, I was a little nervous, anyone would be. And next thing I knew, the five minutes were over and I was gone. Why was I able to do it pretty well? Because I trusted my subconscious. My subconscious mind doesn't care if I'm speaking in front of the Eagles or I'm talking to you or I'm talking to my wife or it just doesn't matter. Your subconscious mind only knows how to help you. It knows all there is to know about walking, talking, reading, writing, hitting a baseball, making a presentation. Does it help you counteract the side telling you that you're not doing good? What's that? I'm sorry. Does it, does it like say it's while you're speaking, like you were speaking to the Eagles, does the subconscious mind, um, you know, basically help you against your conscious side that might be telling you that you're not doing well? We, and what happens is, and, and this is might sound like a bit of an exaggeration, but it really isn't. It, your subconscious mind is the ocean and your conscious mind is a small, pool, pool in your backyard. What's more powerful, right? So the symptoms in the conscious mind, they know they can't compete against the subconscious. That's why the symptoms, the what ifs and the self-criticisms and the, the fears and the worries and the lies, they're, they're just, they're not very creative. They do the same thing all the time, right? So the mantra is, thank you for reminding me to be my best self. How would I connect with my best friend right now if she were having a difficult time. Now, I know this all sounds good and for that easy, right? I'd be on my yacht somewhere. Mm. But what allows it to work is practicing your zone or it, I, I call it zonefulness. It's this integration of mindfulness meditation and visualization, some hypnotic elements where I make recordings for my clients and they click close their eyes and have them take some deep breaths and I guide them back into their personal history of doing well. I help launch them forward and they experience the sight sounds and sensations of being at their best in the future. And what, so the subconscious mind doesn't differentiate between real and imagined, right? So when you're, the more you're imagining possibilities, the more you're curious about how well you can do the more your mind thinks you've already done it. And I love that. It, it just, that's why it happens much more seamlessly. 
Yeah, so I, I listened to a podcast last week, which I sent you on a Navy SEAL, and he says exactly what you say. It reminded me of you so much. But I guess that's how they train themselves. And I just keep hearing more and more about it and subliminal messages. And I keep wanting to read about it, and I have to make time. But I just find it fascinating, as I'm sure so many others will, if they know that their subconscious mind can actually help them. Absolutely. And we really, I, I love to normalize it, right? Simplify it. But yeah. When the podcast's over, if you were to close your eyes and just take five really slow, very slow deep breaths in through your nose, out through your mouth, and just review some times in your life you've done really well, and just pay attention to your center and, and feel that energy, and open your eyes and validate yourself. Uh, it'll be amazing what you experience. And I'll just briefly talk about validation. It's funny you bring up Navy SEALs. I, I, was, I was on a podcast at the, excuse me, a, a Zoom uh, conference. There was 150 college basketball coaches on it. And it was a, a Navy SEAL and a brain scientist who had a peak performance business. And they worked with a lot of uh, college basketball teams and worked with corporations and I could do an hour on this right now. I won't do that to you. But in, in just a minute, they were talking about growth mindset and fixed mindset, right? Growth mindset is someone who's always looking at the possibilities when there's obstacles. They're curious about what they can do differently, what they can learn from it. They validate themselves, right? They, they know they're going to get there. They don't know exactly how. A fixed mindset is when you focus on the negative and you beat yourself up and you personalize that it, it's your fault. And it's really hard for people like that to to really achieve their goals, which is unfortunately that's common. But anyway, so, so they were talking about positivity, but it's a real positivity, not BS positivity. And what's real positivity is validating yourself, right? So when you do something well, when you say, great job, keep going, that creates dopamine in your brain chemistry. It's amazing. Dopamine is energy and clarity. So the more you validate yourself, the more you're enhancing your, your brain chemistry. So briefly, I, I can't resist you know, in this, this particular Navy SEAL, he, he's retired and he weighed 5'10", 175, 180 pounds. And when you think of a Navy SEAL, they're like UFC fighters or professional boxers, football players, right? They're going to run through a wall. They're, it's arguably the hardest thing to do mentally and physically in the world to become a Navy SEAL, like that seven-week training, whatever it is, six, yeah. seven-week training. and. And when he did it, there were 400, don't quote me on the number, 483 or something people, and only 17 made it. Wow. And, he, and the brain scientist was explaining one of the main reasons only 17 made it is because these 17 intuitively kept creating dopamine in their brain by, they would say to themselves, go 10 more feet. You can go 10 more feet. And they would go 10 more feet because it was so hard to even go 10 more feet during hell week. And they would do it and they would say, great job. You went 10 more feet. Keep going. And the whole time they were like, keep going. You can do this, creating dopamine. All of these, you know, monsters who quit, some of them said they would die before they quit beforehand, right? Like they, they were so committed that no matter what, they were going to make it. Right. But imagine you had five gallons of water and there's no water left. So they, and that symbolizes the dopamine in their brain chemistry, right? So right. they were... All they did was, it was like they had too much grit. All they did was rely on grit and just go through every day. And they never once said, keep going, you got this. You can do it. 
way to go, great accomplishment today. It sounds like this cookbooky thing, but no, it's they were internally regulating their brain chemistry by validating themselves, technically attaching a reward to their efforts. That's interesting. Uh, I believe that 100%. We do that naturally for our friends and family, right? Yeah. <laughs> Great job. Way to go. I'm so proud of you. So imagine doing that for yourself. I know. We, we need to do more of it. And the times I have done it, it has worked. Not knowing about the subconscious and conscious mind, but I just remember a tough mutter I did. I mean, it was years ago, but the one I did, I like panicked in the ice bath and I had to get out. But then the second time I was imagining getting through the ice bath, that was the worst part for me for whatever reason. And I got through it fine, but I didn't know then that I was like doing myself a favor, imagining getting through it. You know, now I know. That's huge. That's a great accomplishment. It's off water. They're hard. I haven't done one in a while, (laughs) but I need to bring it back. But I get grit. I do orange theory now, and sometimes it's hard with the intervals. And um, but it does that positivity pushing through helps you get there. Yeah, you know they were explaining it's called a physiological sigh. I, I call it a anchor breath. You can do this in your orange theory. When you start to get physically tired, if you take two inhales and an exhale, yeah, three things happen. You inflate the alveoli, which are the tiny sacs in your lungs, which deflate when you're in effort. So you inflate them. The second thing is you shoot oxygen into your brain chemistry, which goes into your body. And when you exhale, you're offloading carbon dioxide, which is where the stress is carried. Now, if you link that with keep going, so you're in, you're in your intervals in orange theory and you do the... I got this or keep going, it's going to give you a shot of dopamine, a shot of energy. Thank you. Because I've read about different things, but from what I remember, it's mostly breathing in, holding, and then breathing out. It's not, it's not what you said. So I'm going to try what you said. That's really good. This, I, I learned this. I, it was funny because I'm saying I should have known this by now when I was on this amazing uh, Zoom, Zoom conference. And it was the brain scientists talking about when you're in effort, like an orange theory class or an EV sales or whatever it is, or a basketball practice, and you're, you're getting tired, that's the two inhales and the exhale. It's the best way you can reset yourself known to man and womankind because you're inflating your lungs, you're oxygenating your brain. And then when you link it with something positive and say, I got this, keep going. I have a lacrosse player a few months ago, he used... He takes his anchor breath and he says, unbreakable. I like it. Next pitch, basketball players, next play, whatever it is. I got this. You just have to keep reminding yourself when times are tough. Our energy, which is cool. Yeah. Thank you for that. Sure. Don't want to forget talking about your book. And I want to also talk about a little bit about your career and how you got there to, I mean, an amazing physician with the Eagles and UPenn. Can you tell us about where it all started? Yeah, I mean, I, I come from the Philadelphia area and always was a sports maniac and played basketball and baseball in high school. I was able to play some basketball on the Division three level and in college, which was, was great. Uh, so I didn't think I was going to be able to work in sports, uh, but I always had a love also for, for counseling and psychology. I love those classes anyway. 
psychology major at Albright College, went to Villanova University, and that was really a, a gift from the universe. The professors, I, a few of the professors I had and mentors who taught me about meditation and strength-based therapy and hypnotherapy and all kinds of cool stuff. And, and it kind of launched me on my way to become a therapist. But it was non-traditional therapy. It was strength-based, focusing on the present and the future, focusing on someone's strengths instead of someone's problems. Traditional therapy is, you know, the whole pathology model, what's wrong with someone. Of course, I don't ignore the past. But we talk about that and the problems and all. But we, to me and people like me, it's the solutions are within you already. So it's magnifying the strengths you already have and staying in the present and moving forward into the future. So that type of therapy where you're doing meditative work and, and getting into your subconscious really lent itself well to performance, whether it's the arts or sports. And uh, early mentors of mine, uh, they were professional peak performance psychologists and worked with athletes and then they kind of showed me the way. And so I don't differentiate. I do the same thing with everyone. I don't tell people that, but if someone's never played a sport in their life, I'm going to use the same techniques I would use with a college basketball player or a pro football player. We'll just change the language and basically to help them tap in to their best self. And that goes into your book, Zonefulness. Yes. Yeah, zone, thank you. Zonefulness, uh, an integration of, of mindfulness and peak performance zone exercises and positive psychology. So um, I came up with that name, kind of a play clearly on mindfulness, but getting people into the zone, the zone that's inside of you. Um, what I love best about the book is I was able, it was, it was as if I was inviting people into my practice. It's really 90% of it is stories about players I, I've worked with high school, college, and pro level. And at the end of every chapter, there's zone exercises you can do. I direct people to my website where they can watch uh, videos and listen to audios about how to get into the zone. So. Yeah, it was awesome. I have a copy, a signed copy, I think. I think so, yes. (laughs) Yeah. I really enjoyed this whole podcast. And I, like I told you, I find it just so interesting. And it makes me want to practice. I don't know what you call that practice of the subconscious versus conscious mind more, but I do want to apply it. And I know you taught me about this a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. and told me to imagine myself as my greatest self. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the, again, it's deceptively simple. It's treating yourself just like you would someone you really cared about. And, you know, you can get into your zone whenever you want, right? It can be right before you start, when you get up in the morning, before you go to bed, five deep breaths, validate yourself. Gratitude. Something else I need to practice. That's actually the fourth. We don't have time now, but gratitude is a huge part of getting into your zone. Good. I know. I don't do enough of it. I beat myself up a lot, but I don't do enough gratitude. That's that's your homework, then. Exactly. And I'm sure other people's too, but I have people that are really great at it though. At least from what I see on their Instagram, they're always journaling. And they practice it, right? It becomes, they've created a new habit. Exactly. A new pattern. So I but thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. I loved it. How can people get a hold of you if they want to just talk to you or try to book an appointment with you or even get your book? Absolutely. The easiest way is to go to my website, zonefulness.com. That's Z-O-N-E-F-U-L-N-E-S-S-1-L. Zonefulness.com has all of my contact information. And 
just text me directly or email me directly. And if anyone's interested in having a consult over the phone or setting up an appointment, I'm happy to do that. Okay. Awesome. I look forward to seeing you soon. Okay. Thanks so much Thanks, for the podcast. I enjoyed this past hour. I did too. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Cheers. Well, that's it for now. Thanks everyone for joining us. Please reach out to me so I can feature you on my show. I do respond to everyone. You can find me on my Instagram at Jennifer Sherlock or my business Instagram at Jenna.com. And check out our new website coming soon, livewithoutanet.com. Thanks again. And I look forward to taking risks with you.